Transcendence is a powerful word. Be careful with it. It might change your life. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is The Spirit of Leading. Transcendence, that's a word that Will Ritchie uses a lot to describe his life and work. Will is a spoken word artist living and working in Dallas, Texas. The center of his orbit is Deep Ellum District and the Life in Deep Ellum Cultural Center. That's where his diverse lounge is. And when you visit his website, journeymaninc.com, that's journeymaninc.com, the expressed mission of his work is to transcend cultures, creeds, and races by awakening the creative soul through the development of emotional literacy in various forms of artistic expression. And we're going to find out how he does that. Will is the embodiment of empowerment, which is seeing a need and acting on it, and of the spirit of leading. Will, thank you so much for sharing your story in this episode of The Spirit of Leading. Thanks a lot. It's, it's awesome to be here. Well, first of all, I want to get on with this word transcendence. It comes up a lot in, in your spoken uh, presentations and also uh, on your website. Uh, what does that word mean to you and why is it of such special interest to you? I love the word because I think that uh, we don't acknowledge that, that the, the power of it enough. I think some people hold it in a very high spiritual self spiritual esteem, uh, almost as if it's unreachable, unreachable. But I think that it's it's very much reachable here uh, on a tactile kind of human human level. And I think that it's it's what we're called and what we really need in order to kind of see through and see past and beyond uh, a lot of the. Um, uh, conflicts that we have that polarize us, right? Um, right. Oh, yeah. Whether it's political or whether it's uh, racial or whether it's um, equity, uh, dealing with equity, uh, much less expression and just the challenges that we have within our own homes and family trees. I think that we have to be able to transcend to see out of those boxes and to connect with what makes us all more similar than what makes us different. What I get out of the word is it's going above and beyond or getting outside of your own centric self and uh, getting in touch with everything that's around you and everything that's uh, above you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I can, I can kind of relate to that word. And, and in my work of, uh, of uh, working with people in business and industry, I sense a lot of that uh, within them as well. A lot of people come to the sessions, the, the training sessions, with some expe expectation of wanting to take themselves farther than where they are at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that probably what you do and what you facilitate, whether it's in a discussion like this or in those sessions, is an opportunity for creativity, you know, and, and for me, you know, I think the, the opposite of creativity is control, right? And control is very fear based. And I think that what we do through Diverse Lounge and also just through our relationships in the community um, is we say, hey, let's find creative solutions. Let's find creative ways of expressing ourselves. And, and, and honestly, creative ways of expressing our own personal stories and let's come out of that darkness into the light and find once again that the more we share with one another the more we realize we have in common and that you know again transcends um where you work where you live where you grow up what part of town you were on and it invites us to have more unity in, in community i know in my particular uh, work uh, helping people to connect with each other and connect with a sense of who they are to find meaning and what they're doing every day is a very, very uh, powerful and important part of the training itself. It's one thing just to train a skill. Right. It's another thing to really connect yourself to the emotion and passion of what it is that you do every day. Sure, sure. 
you know, skills are only, you know, part of the doing, right? I mean, we're human right. beings, not human doings. Right. And Absolutely. I think that, you know, when you're, when you live in a, in a, in kind of a product based society, right. You, that values a lot of skills and a lot of, uh, disciplines per se, you don't necessarily, uh, honor the essence or the, the qualities of the human being. Right. And, and I don't want to be too esoteric here, but what I want to say is, is that, you know, we are, um, all uh, kind of created and created equal, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way to really super acknowledge that is by noticing that on a human level, uh, the power of our stories have a, a great impact on one another. And that's really central to the spirit of leading that I hope that we're able to convey, you know, in the, this in your own work and the, and the way that you approach your work. Absolutely. I want to back up a little bit and really talk about the diverse lounge first, because that's kind of, that's the way I came to meet you was mm -hmm. I have I had a friend and we were at a story slam and she said, oh, you've got to go check out the diverse lounge. It's such an incredible project uh, down in Deep Ellum. And so I came and that's where we met. And uh, so tell me a little bit about what the diverse lounge is supposed to do. Sure. Well, let's let's set the scene for our listeners, right? So imagine you walk into a, a building, you have a kind of a coffee shop area with some hot chocolate and a, and a DJ. You have an art gallery space with some interactive places where young people can create. But then you come into the large venue, right? The performance venue. And on stage, I've got eight, eight musicians with me. Uh, Melody Memory, Alejandro Perez Jr. is my uh, creative partner, AP, and uh, he's got everybody from uh, himself on a looper to uh, a 65-year-old sax player, you know, a 35-year-old keyboard player, and so uh, a very intergenerational group of musicians who are kind of setting that tone. Uh, to stage right, you have a live painter creating spontaneously in the moment. To stage left, you have what we call a scribe artist, and a scribe artist captures words that are coming from the microphone throughout the evening and putting some illustrations behind that. So that's just setting the stage. And then, you know, we've got about 250 chairs in a standing room only environment. We must have, you know, three, 350 people in this room. And so when we talk about diverse lounge, it's very important you talk about the ambiance. And of course, we have screens that are playing some of these quotes that we have, you know, and and, and one of the quotes that we always start the show off with is with a five finger mantra and each finger represents a word. And we say, my voice has power to speak my truth and share my life. from the moment people walk in as you did at the last show they realize like wow this is a this is a pretty intriguing place of, of, of expression and so Diverse Sounds was created 11 years ago and we may have had I think maybe 50 people or so in, in the room that, that evening and I had been uh, teaching some creative writing workshops and had told kids about it and was even picking people up in my old uh, Honda Civic to bring them to the show and here we are 11 years later, over 500 people a show. Last one we had different, 50 different schools represented, middle school, high school, college aged, and over 100 people on the list hoping to share their original writing mm -hmm. with the crowd. So since you have a musical accompaniment, you know, we, we, call it, we call it spoken word poetry, right? But spoken word for us is also music and storytelling. And so they can, if you can kind of fit into one of those little spots, a spoken word poem, a story or even a song um, the the young person come up and express themselves 
And what we like to say is that we, we really, we reignite the childlike in the room. It's not childish, but we reignite the childlike. Right. And that's where I think the adults are finding some intrigue in hearing those stories that the young people right. are Oh, it's a very impressive. It was just absolutely mind-blowing. I will tell people who might hear this podcast wherever they are that if you're ever in Dallas and, uh, and you have an opportunity to be present for one of the shows, you should just come yeah. just to listen to the just the young people and the way they express themselves and uh, not just the words they say but where the, where those stories and where that expression comes from you can see into their soul yep. they like articulate uh, diverse lounge is d-a-v-e-r-s-e mm-hmm. so diverse lounge uh, play on words there and 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 yeah it's four times every school year uh, our managing partner is big thought one of the largest creative arts organizations here right. in dallas um, diverse Lounge is the show. We actually have a curriculum called Diverse Works. Uh, that curriculum is given for free to middle and high schools, to community organizations, whoever's really interested. And so we've really, we're really establishing a through line that is uh, spreading throughout North Texas and really beyond. And the thing about having adult artists as the musicians, as the painters, even managing the chalk wall and things like that, is that a very natural mentorship happens with the young folks. So it, it's never at, at any in any given show you can you can find someone who started with us, you know, 10, 8, 10, 11 years ago. Um, you know, one of our young ladies, Tacovia, is, is a as a flight attendant and she's going all over the country and then she'll pop up at a show, you know, cause she took the weekend off to be here. And it's kind of like a family reunion in that sense. So at every show, maybe, geez, I mean, half to two thirds of the people always seem to be new people, but then it's the, the show is also seeded with folks who've kind of grown up with us mm-hmm. in this movement. Yeah. Well, I know every story really has kind of a beginning and you've, you've taken us back, uh, uh, about 11 years or so to the first, but tell, mm-hmm. take us back to before the first. Where did the idea come from? How did sure. it evolve into where it, where it, where it began 11 sure. years ago? Well, it's impossible to talk about the beginning without talking a little bit about my story. And, and you know, I was born in Natchez, Mississippi, and my mother was Puerto Rican. Um, but one of the first things to go when my mother got here from Puerto Rico, she was born and raised on the island, was her voice, her Spanish. And so... Uh, it was much easier at that time. She would tell me many years later for her just to kind of acclimate to the culture and, and the surroundings where my father was raised and, and to only speak English. And you know, I was the oldest of four kids and, and following, following in the footsteps of my father's dreams, you know, playing basketball. He played basketball with Pistol Pete Maravich in college and he wanted me to play and, and kind of following his kind of like love of sports and political and religious ideology and growing up Catholic and and my mother, you know, uh, being a, staying at home with, with the four kids. And, and then we moved around a little bit, you know. And, and so when we moved around a little bit, left Louisiana, ended up coming home, graduating high school in, in Baton Rouge, um, I, I found a college, the University of Dallas here in Irving, uh, to come study. And I never forget my father saying that, you know, I had a chance to be a renaissance man at this college. You know, I, I could play basketball in the Division three level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna come on and, and study for a semester in Rome in Italy, uh, but after my third year of college, I was having kind of like a a bit of a breakdown per se, and 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 I found myself in a Spanish one class, an elementary Spanish one class, and my teacher said, you know, you're pretty good at yo hablo español, right? Like you don't have some of the hangups that like non Spanish speakers have, and I said, well, my mother's Puerto Rican, and she said, really? She says we have an immersion program this summer in Costa Rica. 
would you be interested in coming? I said, sure. And what began as a seven-week program ended up being the better part of a year of me being there, uh, studying Spanish, speaking, um, teaching English, and living with a Spanish family. Or, 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 and when I came back, I, I graduated in education with a minor in Spanish, and uh, it changed my life. I began expressing myself, feeling things, articulating things in the Spanish language um, that I'd never even thought of in English. And uh, the same Spanish teacher who recommended me uh, to go to that course also supported me when I wanted to take this, this pilgrimage across Spain called the Camino de Santiago. And, some, these, and these poems started coming out, right? So the, the, these writings started coming out, and I returned back to Dallas in, in, in 02, and I'm performing these poems, and I, I made this, this Dallas Slam poetry team. And it's funny because it's the only real year that I, that I had any success with this competitive slam poetry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I left the competition behind because I realized that with my degree in education and my expression, I had a long way to go to recovering and uncovering and discovering my mother's roots. You know, I was here in Dallas. I was a teacher, 03, 04, uh, taught Spanish in high schools, taught ESL. And we started this thing called Artist Night Out. And I felt like I had kind of exhausted a lot of different uh, connections in the, in the kind of the spoken word poetry realm. And I connected with a visual artist, uh, Solange Marielle. Uh, and um, we had this little, little, little thing in, in December of 04 called Artist Night Out. And we brought poets and visual artists and musicians. And the following year, the, the Dallas Theater Center had seen the show and, and said, can you do this for young people? And we said, yeah. And so in the fall of 2005 was our first diverse lounge. And I just remember it being this, you know, having this very idealistic thought, you know, I want to impact culture. But I want to connect with young people who may have grown up like me, right, with only the voice of one parent and not the other, you know, only the, the dreams and pursuits of one and not the other, but also young people who did not have the gifts I had of two people, you know, two parents in the household or even siblings, you know, uh, the love I have for my siblings is, is really powerful. So, um, you know, how can I help young people basically uh, express and connect with themselves so that they have their voice at an earlier age? And one of the things that impressed me about the performance of the young people was the level of articulation and the precision of words Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they were able to use in their presentations. And a lot of times you hear people talk today, they just don't have a lot of words with which to express themselves. So they end up sort of acting it out in maybe in destructive ways rather than talking it out. And and I was kind of curious about that. What have you learned about uh, from the time you start working with young people to to down the road, how their use of language evolves, how words become a more important part of who they are? Well, it's, it's, it's a wonderful question. I think, I think, you know, you talked about the, the word skills earlier, and I think that the articulation that they're showing is, is, is a high skill level, right? <laughs> but the being side of that, the human being side of that comes with vulnerability, it comes with the safety to express. You know, we have these three tenets. Uh, it's on a slide at Diverse Lounge. For, for years, we never shared this, but we say that Diverse Lounge is a place with no political propaganda, no religious elitism, no forced competition, and thus you're left with the essence of the child, right? You're left with the essence of the person expressing themselves. And that gives the young person an opportunity to exp- 
explode with articulation, right? To explode with a way of really expressing what 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 they're feeling, what they're going through, and put it, and crafting it in a way that's clever, that's sometimes comical, that sometimes shows pain. But another quote we share is is very much fuels that same skill set, right? And that is. We always say, and, and, we, and we make the audience repeat it, right? When I share my joy, I multiply my happiness. When I share my pain, I divide my sadness. And when I embrace the two, I become whole. We become whole. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we're doing here is we're empowering that skill set that, as you mentioned, was, was begun in workshops, you know, even more than 11 years ago, 12, 13, 14 years ago, when I began developing kind of like my own curriculum called Right to Be Heard, uh, W-R-I-T-E, mm-hmm, Right to Be right. Heard. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're reconnecting something that's very transcendent, again, that's something that's very timeless, right? And you know, one thing that I love to share with teachers, and, and even, again, to answer your question, is spoken word is, is kind of like ice hockey, the sport, ice hockey. And the reason why we say that is because, you know, you're playing basketball, football, baseball, you're on your feet, right? When you play ice hockey, you have to know an entire skill. You have to know how to skate before you can even play the game. So you have to know an entire skill that's off your feet before you can play the game. And when we teach kids poetry or we teach kids how to write towards a state testing or when we teach kids how to do this in the classroom, there's so much pressure to play that game, to learn that format, to to be within that structure. And we have forgotten how to free the child to express themselves first. Right. And so what you're talking about, what you're tapping into at Diverse Lounge is they're in this environment that is, it's bigger than just a non-judgmental thing. This is not a political correct kind of like establishment kind of thing. They're in a place that is so accepting and is so nurturing that what you're seeing, that articulation, their word choice I mean, it just it just takes off. It absolutely takes off. And of course, going back to our curriculum and everything, it's seated in the schools and the workshops. Exactly, and and that's a big step too. Because if you don't have uh, if if you don't have the words to say, how do you express yourself? Absolutely. And I've heard it said in the past, and I th- and I think this is would be I would really agree with this is that if you don't have a vocabulary, if you mm-hmm. don't have the words to say, you can't even think. Right. Because, I mean, how many times have you heard people say, well, I know how I feel, but I don't know the word for it. Sure. Well, in my response to you, again, and let's go back to that whole skills and, and, and vulnerability and the human doing and human being. My response to that is, how are, how are kids really going to pick up words? Are they going to pick it up from memorizing a list of a thousand words? Right. Or are they going to pick it up from reading a novel? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that we've taken this memorization kind of process, you know, we've taken this kind of let's force feed, you know, exactly what we need to fit this certain particular criteria instead of offering this colorful cornucopia of a novel, something to read, you know, and, and what we're doing at Diverse Lounge, again, with the adults is because we always have uh, featured featured um, poets and, and people who perform, much less Alejandro and his band. And what we're doing there is, is that the kids from a very early age, middle school, high school, college, they're seeing older people model this expression, mm-hmm. right? And it's so different from what they're seeing on the radio, from what they're experiencing mm-hmm. on TV. But the point is, is that when you come all the way back down to like where they are in their adolescence, who's giving them that empowerment? You know, who's showing them, you know, what, what, 
what is a, a, a fruitful and enriching way of modeling their right. own expression after. Right. Right. And when they have those skills, mm-hmm. when they have the ability to do that, mm-hmm. it softens a lot of things that happen later on. When you can talk sure. it out, you don't have to fight it out. You don't have to express it in, mm-hmm. in, in some kind of rage yeah. or uh, other kinds of ways it could be destructive. You have a way to, say you're, to express it and understand it and work through it in a constructive way. on something uh, that you said in your last comment, and I just wondered uh, what your year of immersion in Costa Rica, how that influenced the way you teach now or started teaching when you began this process? Sure. Uh, it's a beautiful question, and, and, you're, and you're touching a, a, a heart space of mine, right? So the, the time in Costa Rica really was what introduced me to a lifestyle transformation of balance. And again, you know, I'm 38 now, so so going through that process, I mean, there was a time when I was really upset with my dad and really upset with those Louisiana roots because they didn't nurture the other side. But you know, uh, once I once I hit 30 or so, you know, I, I began making really peace with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I look back on it, especially now as a mentor, is I say, hey, those first 20 years, it's like I lived it for my dad. You know, the next 10 years, I lived it for my mom. And once I hit 30, is it's kind of a time period where my wife and I and even our children could have a little more balance, right. you know. And that's what we're trying to show through Diverse Lounge, really. Right. And that's kind of where I, what I was uh, was and was thinking as mm-hmm. I was listening to you explain that earlier, that that might have really had an impact. And it kind of goes back to uh, the, the question I wanted to ask next, which relates back to uh, your role as a leader. Mm-hmm. Because my definition of a leader and it's a very simple definition is a leader is someone who helps us get places that we cannot or will not go by ourselves. And so uh, people obviously come to you looking to you as a leader in that, in some respect, because they see you're doing something. They see what the diverse lounges, they see what your educational programs are and what those have meant. And, and, and they're looking for someone to help them get someplace else. How would you say that your, uh, becoming more aware of this balancing your life has affected that role. Jeez. First of all, it's very, it's very humbling to be called a leader. Uh, growing up, um, again, I was captain on almost every basketball team I was on. You know, I always had a voice in school. I ended up being valedictorian after going to three different middle schools, three different high schools, and kind of acclimating that change. And then college really hum- humbled me. And post-college humbled me even more. <laughs> And so what I found is that I had to get out of this kind of caricature of a human doing of, of, of a resume based person and find out who am I, who is, who is, who is will, you know, like, like where do, where are my origins? You know, what, what are my beliefs? And I still struggle with that to this day. Uh, you know, my father's very opinionated guy. Um, my mother's less opinionated, but I found my peace and my balance between them. Um, through this art form and and I think that being looked upon as a leader you know beginning to 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 have opportunities like for example the artistic director of the Dallas Festival of Ideas this past year um, you know is where people are coming and saying what you're doing at Diverse Lounge is a shepherding of people right I'm not saying this I've actually someone said this before and and, and what you're doing is a shepherding of people in a way that we're not often finding in our churches, in our politics, in our education, 
You know, we're not finding unbiased facilitators who are really offering tools to unlock and, and, and allow folks to express themselves. This whole idea and this concept of, of um, reigniting the childlike, we're finding more and more adults in, in, at our shows. And I think the reason why is the adults are finding this safe place. You know, we, we, we often say that we create safe spaces. You know, we design emotional spaces that enrich schools, faculties, organizations, communities. And, you know, that is a very intriguing place of leadership that I certainly did not ask for, but I'm recognizing now. And I'm also reconciling now um, being a young Catholic, you know, boy and, and people telling me that I had the qualities of a future priest, you know, right. and then dealing with the, the kind of like the back and forth, the turmoil of, 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 of what led to me not pursuing that path. And yet at the same time, having an opportunity to be um, in a position in a city that is really looking for a connection to its own heartbeat. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a humbling, it's a really humbling place to be. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and that's, and that's what I mean by the spirit of leading. And uh, when I was thinking, I realized uh, several months back, I wanted to begin podcasting and I was thinking, uh, what, what would I want to say? Mm-hmm. What would this podcast be? And cause as a leadership trainer, I'm really about the doing sure. a lot, sure. but I, but when I'm with people, I sense that they are trying to find out, find their space in yeah. that leadership space. Yeah. They're wanting to become, they want to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I realize that leading is so much more than a skill. It is really a spirit. Sure. I tell people that, uh, that leadership is not a job. It is a lifestyle. And when we step into a leadership role, intentionally step into a leadership role, we are in a sense saying, I'm ready to change my lifestyle, sure. to, to enlarge myself beyond just my own self-interest and take on the interest of others. You, we brought, you brought up an important point in your, in your story just a second ago in that many leaders are not, don't appoint themselves, they emerge. Right. They are, sent, they are sort of moved to the front by the people surrounding them who realize that they have something of quality to offer and it's a very organic kind of experience. Sure. It does, you don't say, well, I'm going to be the leader now because, because, uh, you end up realizing that you are the leader Yeah, sure. Uh, because people have found something in you that, uh, that they trust, that they, they believe will help them get where they want to go or someplace that they cannot go on their own. And so now you are there for that time. Sure. And at some point, they evolve, and they become yeah. the leader. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, let me just case in point. You know where we are right now. Life in Deep Ellum. You know this this place is a is a is a cultural center, and this place is a place w- that houses diverse lounge. Uh, this place is also a place that actually has a um, a, um, uh, a little church service on Sunday mornings. You know, but it's not a. It's not a place where you see a bunch of billboards about what happens here, right? Like you would not know diverse challenges here except for those four nights a year. You know, you don't really know what's happening on Sunday mornings unless you're here for a Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. you know, but what you can do every day is come and have a coffee, come and see an art gallery and interact with people who behind the scenes have a very strong intentionality of being unconditional, you know, and we've talked about transcendence, but also transparent, you know, in, in their leadership style. 
life is about this journey, this right. process. Right. And we live in a very product-driven society right now. And we live in a place where people are checking off, I am a leader, instead of living their leadership. Right. And people are checking off, vote for me, instead of living, you know, what their, what their, what their convictions are. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's kind of where I, where I want to get to in, in this podcast is that uh, leadership is, is uh, as we said earlier, more organic. It's a lifestyle. It is a service thing. It mm. is not about, look at me, I'm in charge. Mm. It's about how do we move forward together. It's a very different kind of feel than what maybe we've had in the past. And the reason I guess I'm now so passionate about that perspective is that I work a lot now with uh, young people, the, the millennials, sure. uh, a generation that you're very close to. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm beginning to see that they are asking these questions. They, they kind of came from and, and saw as their model a very materialistic kind of uh, growing up. Sure. But they're realizing... Yeah, I want some of that, but that's not enough. I want meaning and substance and participation and all those other kinds of things. And now they are looking for their leadership place and their leadership voice with sort of a new perspective. And so I guess the last question I want to ask you in the time we have is from your own experience. And if you were, if if I were a a, a young 20 something sitting Mm -hmm. here on the other side of the desk from you, uh, what would you want to tell me about how I can take my life and move it forward and, 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 be, and become an empowered kind of leader and mm-hmm. embody this spirit of leading from the experience that you've had. I'm just going to go with my gut here. And okay. I think going with my gut, it's, it's what I would say is that it's not so much what you do all the time, but it's also what you don't do. It's not just what you say, but it's also what you, what you listen to or what you allow yourself to listen to. It's not so much what you, all of the plethora of activities that you do, again, to fill your resume, but it's also what about that downtime, right? It's not just about talking and asking for, it's about sitting back. It's about meditation. It's about being still, you know, And, and we live in a time where there's a lot of progress, quote unquote progress technological project progress and things you know i don't have a twitter account you know i i get i get railed for that uh every once in a while uh i'm on facebook but i'm not on instagram all the kids are on instagram you know what i mean and there's a part of what i've learned in order for me to have my own sanity and for my wife and i to have our own sanity and we're expecting our third child we're overjoyed Mm -hmm. um while we are dealing with cancer in the family and you know other highs and lows that are happening right because this is what real life is all about you know, what my, my, my words for the young people is really take, take your time to process this time. What's happening within your family? What's happening within your community? You know, every revolution is not some kind of bitter, belligerently driven, overtly passionate thing. It's also very passionate to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also very revolutionary to be still. You know, the thing about Twitter that, that, that gets me is, is that, you know, people want to live tweet while they're in a talk or in a panel or in a diverse lounge. Well, you know what's happening while you're live tweeting people? You're missing what's going on right, right. in front of you. Right. I mean, I had, a, I had a Dallas Morning News reporter tell me that exact quote. She's a reporter at a, at a big talk, big festival, big. You know what? I missed part of his talk because I was in the middle of. You need to be still. You need to be present. Right. You know, you need to you need to really take something in, and recognize that there's a lot happening, quote unquote, where nothing ever happens. 
There's a lot being said, quote unquote, where nothing is being said. Again, I'm not trying to be super esoteric. I just think that Diverse Lounge offers you an opportunity. You know, we say at every Diverse Lounge show, there are two important people in the room. The speaker, but also the listener. The listener as an individual and the listener as a collective. So we're, in effect, what started as a, as a open mic poetry music thing is now developing a culture of listeners. You know, and another one of our quotes is, you know, before the next confrontation, we must have a conversation. In order to have a conversation, we must learn to listen. And in order to listen, we must first be still. And, you know, I've had that practice with my parents coming from different cultures. And now I can love and accept them where they are, accept myself better and accept, you know, again, this transcendent audience, knowing that we're just all trying to, you know, collectively connect on our experiences. And isn't that kind of what transcendence is about? Absolutely. To transcend, you have to be quiet and you have to be still so that you can hear the real voices that want to speak to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so that you can take that and then grow and grow from there. So, uh, well, thanks again, Will, for uh, sharing your life experience and your story, what you're doing at Diverse Lounge. It's an extremely impressive program, but more so than that, it's an extremely impressive story that I think everyone who hears this podcast can relate to because just like you, we all are on our own journey. Absolutely. And we're all looking for a way that we can transcend that we can go above and beyond the, sure. our current circumstances to find the full the fullness of ourselves and i if i picked up on anything in that in that uh, a performance the other night it was that these young people were finding that absolutely they were finding that opportunity to really get inside themselves and go beyond themselves and yeah. it was very very powerful yeah. thank so, you for saying so much Will Ritchie, who is the a spoken word artist living in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the founder and or a co-founder at least of the Diverse Lounge, and working with young people and now adults. And you can find out more about uh, his journey uh, at, at his website, uh, Journeyman Inc. Journeymanink.com. And then I will post uh, on the blog that accompanies this podcast uh, links to uh, some of his presentations and also places you can learn more about what he's doing. Will, thank you again for, for taking your time with us Thanks today. so much. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of The Spirit of Leading, and I want to thank you for listening. Be watching for the next installment, and in the meantime, you can subscribe to The Spirit of Leading on iTunes Podcast or on Stitcher. Until then, I urge you to live the empowered life, to live each and every day by encouraging the spirit, enlivening the heart, enlightening the mind, and enlarging the expectations of living in yourself and in others. In the spirit of leading, I'm Garland McWatters. Thank you.